all pray out loud at the same time. Pray for the children who are about to be dismissed from Children's Church. Pray for the message. Pray for hearts to be receptive. Everybody out loud at the same time. Let's go. Begin to pray. stay standing. John chapter 8. Read the scripture. We'll dismiss our children that wish to go to Children's Church. John chapter 8. Beginning at verse 2, early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? They said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him, and Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. God, anoint your word in Jesus' name. Help us be receptive. Help us have soil of hearts that are fertile today. That as your seed goes into that soil, it would bear great fruit for our good and your glory. Bless now this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, ushers, come forward. Receive the offering. Children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that exit. A couple praises before we get into God's Word. Our outreach team saw three people saved this weekend. Amen. Come on, the angels rejoice. Friday night, somebody got saved. Yesterday at the outreach, somebody got saved. Saturday, uh, the Zoom apologetics in China, a woman got saved. So you guys were impacting the nations in what we're doing. Praise God. Also, I want to bring to your attention that in the bulletin there are uh, some needs. Top right corner as you open your bulletin. Just some areas I want to bring to your attention. We could really use some more people helping on Friday nights with with uh, Celebrate Recovery, and then our security team could use some help as well. You see the contact info there. And then be sure to register. We're going to have a a lunch for everybody on Sunday, June 25th. So right after the service, we're going to have a wonderful barbecue lunch, but you need to register because we need to know how many are coming. So uh, we prepare the food well in advance. So register on the app for the June 25 meal. Well, listen, beloved, if ever there was a passage, and you're going to want your notes today on the back of the bulletin, if ever there was a passage of Scripture, and we're returning to our series, Fresh Encounters with Jesus, ever there was a passage relevant for the day in which we live, it is this one. For immorality is rampant in our nation and in our world. 
especially sexual immorality. An epidemic today, living for the flesh and gratifying one's desires. And in this passage, we see Jesus addressing sexual immorality. And he does it with something that is going to be so practical on so many levels in our lives truth and grace. Hallelujah. Immorality encounters a truth and grace Jesus. I don't know about you, I am really, really, really glad that Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1 says He's full of grace and truth. It's not like He's 55% one and 45% the other, or 80 and 20. He's 100 truth and 100 grace. Because grace and truth cannot even be separated, really, because true grace has truth, and true truth has grace. <laughs> and if, but if you have truth without grace, it leads to legalism and a works approach to God, if I just obey these things. Grace without truth results in licentiousness. Oh, I can just sin because God's grace and His love will cover me. He loves everybody. Truth and grace leads to liberty and godliness. Truth without grace, legalism. Grace without truth, licentiousness. Truth and grace, liberty and godliness. All right. We're going to have three main points, then four applications. Point number one, look in. Because we all struggle with something. <laughs> Jesus says to the accusers, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. You've heard that a lot, haven't you? It's often used and misused in our culture. Uh, but He's reminding us and everyone that though our sin may be different than what she did, we all have sin, we all have struggles. And what that does is it helps us have compassion. Because I may not have the same sin as that person or that group, but I have my own issues. <laughs> my flesh is weak. I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So when I realize that, it gives us compassion. And this is why 1 Corinthians 10 and 12 says, To him who thinks he stand, take heed, lest he fall. This is why Galatians 6.1 says, Even when you confront a brother, restore a brother. Do it in a spirit of gentleness. Looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. Tempted toward pride maybe or tempted toward your own struggles. Proverbs says pride comes before the fall or a fall. Now as we look at these accusers and how Jesus addressed them by saying he is without sin cast the first stone. There's all kinds of discussion is there not about what did he write in the sand. Twice it says that he bent down and he wrote in the ground or wrote in the sand. There's theories such as he was just buying time to hear from the Father about how to answer. There's the theory of he wrote the names of all the sins of those in the circle about to cast the stone. There's some that say he wrote the names of those who had been with the same woman that is about to be stoned. You're about to stone her? Uh, yeah, uh, Bill, yeah, you did it, and Jimmy, you did it, and John, and he was maybe writing the names of the very man who had been yeah, with her, which is, could be why it says yeah, that the older ones left first. Maybe they had been with her numerous times. I don't know. We don't know. But I do think I know first. why he wrote in the sand. 
Maybe they had been with her numerous times. I don't, I don't know, know what he wrote, we but I do know. think I know why. But I do think I know why he wrote in the And it comes from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. Wrote, and by the way, St. Jerome in the 4th century had this theory. And He's the one that wrote the Latin Vulgate, Jeremiah chapter 17, translated verse 13. Translated the Latin Vulgate. And by the way, St. Jerome the hope in the 4th century the Israel all who forsake you will be put to shame. He's the one that wrote the Those Latin Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake huh. you will be put to shame. Because they have forsaken the Lord, away the spring will be of living written water. in the dust. Interesting, the, that last phrase, similar huh. to what Jesus talked because to the woman at the well about. Her issue was sexual immorality too. And he talked about, the, that last phrase, I give you living water. Jesus talked to the woman at the well Here's about. Here's what I think is going on here. Too, is and that he talked about, more than what he wrote, you living why he wrote it, and it was a statement. Here's what I think is going all on All of here. you and all of us is have turned away from God. More than what he wrote, it's You've forsaken the only one who offers you true you love and true and living water. have turned away from God. And you even in that passage, only one who it's full of truth and grace because it's confronting in truth that they had turned away from God but it's offering grace passage, by saying, I'm the living water. It's full of truth and grace because it's confronting I'm the one you ultimately should turn to God, to have your deepest needs. But it's met. offering grace by saying, Larry I'm the Crabb living water. Larry Crabb once said that every sin is trying I'm to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate to have way. Your deepest needs met. So beneath the sin, and it doesn't excuse the sin, but beneath the sin, we see maybe the reasons why this person so is going sin, for love in all the wrong places because they've never had it in a healthy way or they've been abused in their childhood or there's something going on that causes their aching heart to just try to feel loved and valued but they're trying to get that need met in an ungodly way. Truth and grace addresses both and says that sin but God is the living water and He can satisfy in a way that no one else can. So I think Jesus is fulfilling this very verse and if they knew the word well enough it might have reminded them of Jesus this very verse, this that, very oh my verse. goodness, we've turned away from God. Knew the word well we're enough, about to stone this woman, but we have issues. We've turned from God, that, oh my goodness, and we should be put to shame for that. We should feel a sense of shame for our own sin, and, and maybe just a little hint of Jesus saying, I'm the living water. I'm the only one who can ultimately satisfy at the heart level. Of Jesus saying, I'm the living water. So in immorality encounters Jesus, the first thing it does is show us that we all fall short. At the heart level. But by the grace of God go I. So in immorality, some struggle with same-sex attraction, others with abortion, others with anger, others with domestic abuse, others with porn, others with adultery, others with premarital sex, others with materialism, others with pride, others with self-righteousness, others with greed, others with lust, others with gossip, others with lukewarmness. All have sinned and fall short of glory of God. Others with greed, others with lust, others with gossip, others with... Yeah, and it doesn't mean that we all have sinned and just let sin go God. and not stand for truth. We're going to get to that, but it points to how we approach yeah, it doesn't mean that this situation, I think. Just let sin how do we go approach and not stand sin? for truth. We're going to get to that, but... With compassion and with an understanding that I, too, I struggle and that how do by we the grace of God, sin? I could do the very same thing. With compassion and with two. an understanding in addition to looking I in, now we look up in Jesus... Offers great. Very same thing. Aren't you glad today that for there's two. hope for sin? Aren't you, you glad today that there's a solution for sin? 
Aren't you glad today that there's a remedy for sin? Aren't you glad today that there is a blood that can cleanse and purify all unrighteousness? Aren't you glad today that there's a remedy for sin? You're here today and there's sin in your life. God's convicting you the moment you walk in or through the worshiper. Just the list I read off, the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart. Your heart is pounding a little stronger. That's the conviction. Conviction of the Spirit. People talk about in their testimony. Came under conviction. That's a wonderful thing. If it drives you to the cross. Conviction of the Spirit. He doesn't, it's not about to convict you, to lead you in shame and condemnation. God always convicts to drive you to the cross. He doesn't, it's not to convict when you understand you that, you see that it's His mercy that even convicts. God always convicts to it's drive you to the cross. It's His mercy that shows us areas of our that lives that, that need that to be forgiven and healed. And that's the great beautiful thing. He not only can forgive, He can heal. Oh, He goes to the depths of our pain and heart. And healed. And that's the ability His healing, transformative power. Hallelujah. Imagine for a moment the plight of this woman. She had probably been living a life of immorality and promiscuity. Who knows her childhood? Who knows how she was treated by others? Her aching heart, living a life likely looking for love in all the wrong places. We don't know that, but perhaps she was abused she was or by others, neglected or had a tragic heart, loss in her life. Likely looking for love in Behind all the wrong places. Behind most sin is a hurting heart. We don't know that, but perhaps she was abused or neglected she has or the had public and social embarrassment of being brought out Behind into the square. Behind most sin is a hurting heart. Surrounded by accusers. And then about she has to the put her to death. Her social life embarrassment was on the of being brought out into the square. Then Jesus by accusers. About to put <laughs> then Jesus shows up. Was on the line. They try to coerce him into get then him Jesus into the judgment up. and condemnation of her, but instead he confronts up. the accusers and he they says to her, "Neither do I him into the judgment and condemnation of her, but instead he beautiful words you probably ever heard her, neither do I neither do I condemn you." Condemnation means to sentence a beautiful word down upon a person to declare permanent guilt. Neither do I Was she guilty you. of this sin? Absolutely. Means to sin and worthy of death, just like every one of us. Guilt. For the wages of sin of is death. Sin? Absolutely. And Jesus offers forgiveness like and grace. Wow. Oh, how she must have felt clean and pure and forgiven and loved by Jesus. Wow. Proverbs 28 and 13, he who conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it shall find mercy. John 3 and 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have John 3 and 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, Christ died for sins, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 8 and 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Romans 8 and 1 says, there's no condemnation. If you're in him and he's in you, there's no condemnation because all of our sins are forgiven. The Bible says if we confess our sins, 1 John 1 and 9, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins are and forgiven. The Bible cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Oh, nine, what a great, and merciful, and loving God we have. Us of our sins you bring your sin to the cross. Us you bring your sin to Jesus. Oh, you quit pretending. Great, you quit hiding. You quit. You, you abandon you your pride and you say, you God, I have sinned against heaven and earth. You quit pretending. Forgive me, oh God. And that's when the mercy and the grace of God is poured out upon you. And you can be set free today. Hallelujah. Of God is poured out upon you, and so we you look can up be for grace free now. We today. look down. Hallelujah. Today because does grace mean that it's okay to sin? So we look up 
for grace now? Does grace mean down? that it's not a big because deal? Does grace mean not that it's all. okay to sin? Matter of fact, Titus 2 does says grace it's the grace of God that not instructs a big deal? us to deny ungodliness and to live fact, a holy life. Says Again, it's the true grace always points to truth, and true truth always points to ungodliness. You cannot divorce truth and grace. Again, true grace always points to truth, and true truth two sides of the same coin. You cannot divorce so truth we and must grace. They're beautiful. Address the issue of truth. Two Look sides down of the, the same truth. Coin. Look down at the word. The truth so of God's word determines address morality. the issue of truth. Look down the truth. Look down at the word. The truth of God's word determines in a culture morality. that is has abandoned truth this is extremely relevant a culture that Jesus told her go and sin no more has abandoned truth he did not say go and sin some more this is extremely relevant folks Jesus told her go and sin no more he wasn't giving her a pass he to did go not and say continue go to and sin, sin oh, I forgive more. you try harder next time he wasn't giving her a pass. See, one to thing go the and accusers said to do was to properly Try apply God's next word. Time. A sword is a dangerous See, tool. One thing the accusers failed to do Especially was to properly apply sword. God's word. Hebrews 4:12 says, a "The word of God is, is a, a double-edged sword, tool, sharper than any two-edged sword." Especially a two-edged sword. See, they didn't use the sword of the word properly. The word of God is a double-edged sword. Because the law said in Leviticus 20:10 that both parties must be sword of the word properly. Because Last the I checked, it took two people to commit adultery. That both if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. There's a person missing from this scenario. Did you notice? Let's ask some important questions and listen very carefully. What is truth? Who determines truth? Who has the right to say what is morally right and wrong? Does the Supreme Court ultimately determine this? Well, the Bible's very clear that truth is what is morally right as opposed to what is wrong and sinful. Very simple. Without truth and standards of truth, we're all lost and the world would be a mess, which it is today for this very reason. God is truth and God determines truth and how do we know the truth? From His Word, the Bible. Look at these three verses. Sanctify them in truth, Jesus prayed in John 17. Thy Word is truth. <laughs> Psalm 119, the sum of thy Word is truth. You want to sum it all up? Truth. Here it is. And then Jesus said in John 8, the truth, hallelujah, will set you free. You can't get free if you don't know you need to be set free. So the first thing truth does is expose sin, convict us, so that we might see that we need help for our sin and forgiveness for our sin. Thus, it drives us to the cross. But you don't go to the cross if you think you're okay. So first, it convicts you. It slices and dices you and exposes the sin of our heart that we might be convicted, thus drive us to the grace and the blood of Jesus for forgiveness. You cannot compromise His truth, beloved. What is so sad today is how many Christians and even pastors are compromising God's Word. Catering to cultural standards. Wasn't sure I was going to do this, but I think I am. 
A church that's not very far from here, last Saturday, participated in the Pride Parade. This was on their Facebook page. We take our stance of full affirmation and inclusion very seriously. We will fight for your rights and your dignity. Love is the gospel, and Jesus always sided with the marginalized. Yes, he sided with the marginalized, but he never gave excuse for sin. Amen? So do you see, do you see how that's couched? It sounds real good, doesn't it? Sounds real loving. We stand with the marginalized because Jesus stood with the marginalized. Yes, he did. But he didn't leave them in their sinful condition. He exposed sin and he offered forgiveness for that so they could be healed at the heart level. Again, he said, go and sin no more, not go and sin some more. When you stand with a group that is living an immoral life, you're saying to them, go and sin some more. It's okay. That's what you're doing. And that's the tragedy today, beloved, is when even churches and so-called pastors give affirmation to immorality. It grieves the heart of God, and they will stand accountable. The Bible says not many of you should presume to be teachers, for you will have to give an account. I will have to give an account not only for my personal life, but for what I proclaim from this pulpit because of how it affects so many people. In 2 Timothy 3 and 4, I encourage you to read those chapters this week, 2 Timothy 3 and 4, Notice how often it mentions an abandonment of truth in the latter days, in the end times. So let's make this as practical as possible. And then we'll have some Q&A. Number one, love everyone. Jesus says, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. We're, we are to love all people, regardless of their sin, lifestyle, beliefs, or behavior. Jesus did this. He was even accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he hung out with them, but he didn't participate in their sins. You can love people unconditionally, and that doesn't mean you're accepting or condoning their lifestyle. so important we get this. I've talked about this before, but loving someone, being a friend of someone, accepting them right where they are doesn't condone their lifestyle. And it's through the relationship of love that helps us have influence and to be able to speak into their life. So we don't hold them at arm's length. And I know this is hard. It's very hard to love somebody that you have strong disagreements with. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. So it's a supernatural impartation from God to love even the unlovely. And to look at the heart, to always go below the surface, below the tip of the iceberg to see there's a heart issue here. They're, they're, they're far from God. They're not yielding to God. And that, what that also does, it drives you to prayer. Because you begin to intercede and say, God, open their heart. Open the eyes of their heart. You begin to do spiritual warfare prayer. We bind the powers of darkness. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. It's the God little g of this world, Satan, who blinds the minds of unbelievers. That they not see the light of the glory of the Gospel. Satan, demonic spirits are blinding people's eyes. So you begin to pray, God, I bind up that power of darkness. I bind that spirit who's blinding their mind. God, I ask you to open their heart. God, I intercede that you will send your Holy Spirit to open their eyes. Help me love them the way you do. That's how we approach this. Listen, I'm not the best example here, but I want to get there. 
And I'm with you in this battle. About a month ago, I encourage you if you weren't here to listen to the sermon when I preached on compassion, the need for us to have the compassion of Jesus. As he looked out over Jerusalem, he wept. Number two, and again, these are not mutually exclusive. All these are, it's a both and, not an either or. We stand on truth. Because I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 13 because people all the time, even, even those that, that don't even honor God's Word today, those that are of the lifestyle that the Bible condemns today would all say love. We've got to love. We've got to be inclusive. And we've got to love everyone. Yes, absolutely. But what does love look like? Let's define love. 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter. Love does not rejoice in evil. but delights in the truth. If I have a brother in Christ who is having an affair, and I'm talking to him and trying to help him, is it love to tell him that's okay? No! (laughs) I'm not truly loving him if I tell him it's okay that he's sinning. That he's living a life that is contrary to the Word of God. I love him enough to tell him the truth. Parents, if you love your child and your child wants freedom to do whatever they want, and freedom means they go running out in the street anytime, anywhere, anyhow, and there's a lot of cars coming by. Now you say, I love you enough to put boundaries on you. I love you enough to say that's not acceptable. It's for your protection. I don't want you to be killed. So we stand on truth. Jesus loved this woman enough to say, go and sin no more. You see, true love is not devoid of truth and standards. Now we also cannot expect a non-Christian culture, listen closely, to embrace Christian values. But, that doesn't mean we don't take a stand. We need to be Spirit-led and stand for things like pro-life, a humility month instead of a pride month, the crazy policies like transgender treatment for minors without parental consent. Are you kidding me? No way! That is just crazy! They can't vote before a certain age. They can't. Most places can't even get a tattoo without parental consent. And you're going to let them do a life changing surgery when their brain is not even fully developed? By the way, Rich Saplita did an amazing video. Go to Ask a Former Atheist YouTube channel on the brain development, because that's his specialty. He was a psychology professor, PhD, and his specialty is brain development. He did an amazing YouTube video about the brain development in a child and how crazy it is that we would allow people to make such major decisions when their brain hasn't even fully developed yet. Now listen, we need to work hard at articulating truth in a way that shows people how it just makes sense. Like what Rich did. C.S. Lewis did that in his day. Francis Schaeffer did that in his day. Chuck Colson did that in his day. Dr. Ben Carson is doing that in our day and many others. May God, listen, listen, May God raise up those who can defend truth with intellectual clarity. Some of you young people, I want want to challenge you to become champions of defending the truth with intellectual soundness. 
to be some of the best debaters, best arguers. And I'll tell you, the smartest classical Christian education that happens in our facility is doing just that. Training people with that classical approach to education where they're learning those, those, those logical aspects of things. Impact 360, we, our oldest daughter went to that. It's a, it's a gap year program where you learn a Christian worldview. Learning apologetics. Listen, we need champions today and may they come from this church who are solidly in love with Jesus, who are full of grace, but also who honor the truth of God's Word and can debate and can, and can defend it with intellectual clarity and soundness that could go up to the best intellectual people of our day. Hallelujah! Let's pray it happens, guys. We need this. We are in a different day. Business no more as usual in the church and Christianity. Those days are gone. Be nice if we were back there, but it ain't going to happen. We're in a different day. And I said yesterday at the Transform Conference that maybe we have some spiritual June 6, D-Day. That was the beginning of the end of the war. But it took 11 months for the Nazis to give up. We need spiritual D-Days. We need spiritual warriors who are willing to hit the beaches of Normandy in the power of the Holy Spirit. Will there be some casualties? Maybe. But I'll tell you what, it is worth fighting for. The truth of God's Word, the standard of God's Word, the love of God, the Gospel. And may Living Hope Church be a champion of the grace and truth Gospel of Jesus. Hallelujah! Now let me give you a fair warning though. There will be rejection. There will be misunderstanding, maybe even persecution. Because in John chapter 3, it says this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, and we are the light of the world, and so is Jesus. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So we better count the cost. We better be ready to pay the price. Because darkness does not like light. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to have compassionate, loving hearts that bleed and weep for the lost. I pray today when I open up the wall of compassion, I prayed early this morning, there would be people over there weeping for lost people. Those who sow in tears will reap with great joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with great joy. God, would You break our heart for the things that break Yours. And we need people who will stand for the truth. I'm excited to announce that we are going to start a public policy team here at Living Hope, led by Andy Hines. Those are people that are going to keep their ear to the grindstone as to what is going on in culture, what is going on in Athens, what is going on in school districts, come on, where we need to rally the body. We didn't even think about this a year ago. Times are different. Elders have approved a public policy team that will act with truth and grace on matters that are relevant. I don't know if you saw what's happened in California recently. But those parents, so proud of them, they packed the room and they began to speak with boldness. And I love the one, the Armenian man who said, don't accuse us of not being loving, don't you? He didn't even let them pull that one. Oh man, it was awesome. If you didn't see it, he just stood up and he says, we love you enough to say, don't do this to our children. We are not going to have you reading that sorry book that says it's just normal. Oh man, it was powerful. And then that African-American pastor that went to that school board meeting, I don't know if you've seen that video. Man, 
he spoke to those school board people. He began to read that book that they're using in school and they made him quit because it was so immoral. And he says, why, why are you making me stop? You don't like this being read? Well, what's the matter with me reading it? You're reading it to my kids. And I mean, he just, you would think it was the prophet Jeremiah. That dude, man. Woo! I was like, Lord, raise up more of that guy. Third practical point, and this is huge because this is the bullseye point to the cross. Paul said, may we not boast in anything but the cross. Biggest area of truth that makes the biggest difference is the truth of the Gospel. And this is why we see in Acts the most common thing the early church stood for is the truth of the good news of the Gospel. This is what brings truth and grace together at the most perfect point. Because this offers a new heart. This offers transformation at the deepest level. This is what can turn a Saul into a Paul. Hallelujah. And we go back to our diagram of the nature of God and how His holiness, which is His truth, and His love, which is His grace, where is it most perfectly seen? At the cross. Because at the cross you have righteousness. At the cross you have justice. At the cross you have holy wrath. At the cross you have judgment for our sin put on Jesus. At the cross you have His faithfulness. At the cross you have His grace. At the cross you have His mercy. At the cross you have compassion. Forgive them, they know not what they do. At the cross you have patience. He's patient, not wanting any to perish. And at the cross you have His glory and His sovereignty because He was slain from the foundation of the earth. Oh, at the cross is where Jesus is best seen. God's nature is on full display. Woo! And that's why we've got to continually keep cross-focused. Number four, combine truth and grace. And this is what we've been talking about. Guys, this is so relevant for any relationship. It's relevant for marriage. It's relevant for parenting. It's relevant for leadership. It's relevant for how you run your company. Truth and grace is always the right prescription for any human interaction or conflict. You got a kid who's rebellious. You say to that kid, I love you. You could do nothing that would cause me to abandon you or forsake you or not love you. I love you unconditionally, son or daughter, but this behavior is not acceptable. And there's going to be some consequences. See the truth and grace? It's relevant for anything. It's relevant for a marriage. You have a conflict, honey. You know I love you and I'm committed to you. I am not going to divorce you. Nothing's going to allow that. But it really hurt me the other day when you did this or whatever you need to address or we need to talk about this. And then you come back together. It's truth and grace on all levels. Whether it's homosexuality, whether it's adultery, whether it's lust, whether it's confronting a child, confronting somebody in your company that is not doing their job, truth and grace... Truth and grace, truth and grace. So in a little book, and this will be the last thing. Truth and Grace Paradox by Randy Alcorn. You can read this in 30 minutes. It is epic. A couple quotes from this book, then we'll take some questions. Truth without grace crushes people and ceases to be truth. Well, grace without truth deceives people and ceases to be grace. This is profound. Truth without grace degenerates into judgmental legalism. Grace without truth degenerates into deceitful tolerance. <laughs> you should be taking out your cameras right now and taking pictures of these quotes, or I'll send them to you. These are good. This is a really good one. Grace and truth aren't really contradictory. Jesus didn't switch on truth and turn it off so he could switch on grace. <laughs> Both are permanently switched on in Jesus. Both should be switched on in us. Truth without grace 
breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. Attempts to soften the gospel by minimizing truth keeps people from Jesus. Ooh. Grace without truth, I'm sorry, an attempt, grace without truth breeds moral indifference, keeps people, uh, sorry, go to the next one. Attempts to toughen the, wait a minute, where are we at? Go back, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm off, you're right. Go back, go grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. It attempt, attempts to soften the gospel by minimizing truth, keep people from Jesus. Okay? And it attempts to, it attempts to toughen the gospel by minimizing grace, keeps people from Jesus. It's not enough for us to offer grace or truth. We must offer both. Isn't that good? So with abortion, truth, the unborn is a person. Grace, if you've participated in any way, confess, repent, and you can be forgiven and healed. Pride month. Truth is, we cannot support something the Bible calls immoral. Grace says we're not going to be mean, and we're still going to love all people. There's so many examples I could give. Let's review what we've learned today. Here's the main points. Look in, because we all struggle with something. Look up, Jesus offers grace. Look down, the truth of God's Word determines morality. Our four practical points is to love everyone in the power of the Holy Spirit, stand on the truth of God's Word, point to the cross of Jesus, and always combine both truth and grace. All right, let's take some questions. Woo! Hands are going up. Somebody just sent this in. You know a child under the age of 18 cannot be seen at an urgent care for a basic childhood illness. Stomach virus, sinus infection, sore throat without a parent. How can a child make a medical decision about altering their sex or gender without a parent? Good point. You see, these are the type of logical things we need to point out to people. Can you see the, the, the disconnect here? Andy. We have a, a friend in Marietta and a, a couple and they have a daughter that has uh, hanging in the lesbian lifestyle, and she has a partner, and they, they're struggling how to present truth and grace to her when she wants to bring her partner home. She don't, they don't want to drive her away, but they're not sure exactly how to yeah, do it. I treat that just like a, 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 a heterosexual that's having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend. You can come stay here. You're not going to stay in the same bedroom. You're not going to do it here. So if, if I had a child or a relative, heterosexual, and I know they're living an immoral life with their boyfriend or girlfriend, they want to come visit, yeah, come visit. But you're, you're going to stay in separate rooms. We'll go from there. I mean, that's how I would handle it. So you were talking about um, if you had a friend that was having an affair, and I can hold that so you don't have to lean <laughs> Um, that, that you should, you know, let them know that you love them, but not condone what they're doing. At what point, though, do you go to their spouse and let them know? Oh, to let the spouse know yeah. that they're having an affair? Yeah. Well, first you pray that God will expose it. Um, and He can. The Holy Spirit can bring to light what's hidden in the darkness. First John 1. Um, I think that's a situational situation. I'm not trying to buck the question, but I don't want to give... a overall answer when it might it needs a specific I, 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 
I think there is, there can be a point where you go tell them, but it's just how you do it. I think it's, it's better, obviously, that the, the person you have the relationship with repents and then they, you know, come forward. So you don't have to go to that next level. It's similar to a family intervention with the alcoholic. You know, you confront the alcoholic, you confront the alcoholic, and they continue to be abusive, et cetera, et cetera. Then you do the family intervention where you get a bunch of people together to confront that person. So I think there's levels of confrontation and it would be an individual thing when you go to that level. Mark has a statement to speak to that, and then Alex has a question. I just want to remind all the men that may be involved in an affair or know someone that is, and answer that question, the wife already knows. She already knows. <laughs> the wife already Mark's knows. Mark's saying the wife probably already knows because they're the usually pretty knows. discerning. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, David, you, you pointed out a church locally, um, you know, that was involved in Pride Month. Um, so I want to ask, do you think it's possible or good for you and or the elders uh, to lovingly, graciously, potentially consider meeting with that church's leadership and like sitting down with them and having a conversation? You know, is that... Listen, would I'm, that be I the, am the eternal optimist. Dee can tell you. I've reached out. They won't communicate. Okay. Rich has already reached out. And I was just going to say, I'm the eternal optimist. It wouldn't. I, I mean, I, I just hate to say this. It just, I know it wouldn't do any good. So I just would rather pray because they're in a denominational structure where this is about to split the whole denomination. Many of you know what that is. And they're so deceived in that structure, they do hermeneutical gymnastics plus to try to justify it biblically, which is just unbelievable. I mean, there's just... There is no justification biblically. And uh, so it's just sad, but I think, I didn't know you'd done that, Rich. Thank you. Um, More than one church around here. And it's not just the one that had the Facebook post. It's, and it's, it, you know, I hate to say it, it's going to increase you guys. I mean, what does the Scripture say? In the last days, many will abandon the faith. They will accumulate teachers in accordance with their own desires to hear what their itching ears want to hear. How much clearer can you get than 2, Peter, 2 Timothy 4? They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires to hear what their itching ears want to hear. How would you reply to someone that you're trying to help? Like, basically, um, well, I know that no one, no one can convict anyone but the Holy Spirit. But how would you try to help, or what would you say to someone who is using your past against you when you try to help them see the light or the truth? So I would just make Jesus the focus. Make, G make the gospel the focus. In other words, in ministering to a person who is in a lifestyle, let's just, I assume you're talking about like LGBTQ lifestyle, okay. Um, don't make the sin the issue. Make the gospel the issue. Share it with them just like you would somebody that's a good old churchgoer, but they're not saved. You know? And so I think if we start with the heart, start with sin, start with the gospel, not their specific sin, unless they bring it up. And if they bring it up, you need to speak the truth. You do not shy away. Beckett Cook's testimony is profound about this. He was majorly into the gay lifestyle, and because of the courage of these guys in a coffee shop to speak the truth to him, it led him to go into church and get convicted, and he got radically saved. They didn't beat around the bush, but they did it in love. But I would say, in, unless they ask you that, don't, why make that the issue? We don't do that with everybody else. 
I don't, I don't start with a guy that I know that's living a very materialistic life and money is his God. <laughs> I don't start by telling him, man, you're materialistic. <laughs> and, and money is your God. <laughs> you see? Now, if he asked me about that issue, I would share the truth. But I think it's just important to, to, to just share your testimony, share the gospel, invite to church, you know, all those things. And then they see that, wow, you're not just going there. <laughs> Everybody else seems to go there. Go to the heart. I hope that helps. All right, we maybe one more, because I want to give some time to prayer here at the end. I don't want to cut that short. Pastor David, um, Robert dealt with what she was just talking about at a Waffle House one time, and the lady was gay. I actually went to high school with her, and she was married to another woman, but he never treated her any differently Amen. than he treated anybody else. Amen. And he, she actually told him, she said, you know, everybody else wants to just kind of shove the word down my throat, but you talk to me like a person. Amen. You, you're, you love me. That's good. Thank you for that. So, you know, do it in love, and yeah. they will listen to you a lot more than you trying to shove something down Amen. their throat. Amen. Thank you. And listen, I want to end by saying, uh, if you're here today and you struggle with same-sex attraction or you're in the gay lifestyle, you're watching online, I hope you've seen today that I have, maybe you feel like I've singled out that area because it, because it is so relevant today, but I have not intended to as a sin. I've always tried to say, hey, porn, adultery, materialism, greed, all of that is a sin before God. And so I hope you hear that, and I hope you most of all hear this, that if you're honest and admit your sin before Almighty God, His grace, His love, His mercy longs to be poured out upon you. He can forgive any sin. He can heal any hurt. And this room is full of testimonies to that effect. Amen? Alright. Here's what we're going to do now. We are going to, because we really want to continue to emphasize corporate prayer. So we're going to give about 10 minutes to some options for you in prayer. And here are the stations you can go to. And I really encourage you to be Spirit-led as you go to one of these stations. The first is back there and it's, it's a mercy banner. You are convicted of some sin in your life. You'd like to pray with somebody to receive God's forgiveness and mercy. I'd like most of our prayer team to be back there. You can go ahead and begin to take your spots. Those on the prayer team that don't have another station that I've asked you to be on, I want you all at the mercy station just to go and get forgiveness and prayer for sin in your life. Over here is healing. Some of the elders will be there, but others as well, not just elders. If you have issue, you like prayer for healing, you go there. The map of the world, our, our missions wall, if you want to just go on your own and pray for the nations. Over here, the wall of compassion to pray for people who are lost. There's Markers, you can write the names of unsaved people. Many of you have been doing that. So that's what that is for. Now this one is kind of unique today. It's our listening station. You just need to hear from God. Maybe a decision or just some area of your life. You just love a fresh word from God. Or again, it could be direction or it could just be, I just, I, just, I just love to hear God speak to me today. You come here and you're just going to kneel back here and you be quiet. Just silence. Now I've been praying all morning that some of you would get a, a vision some of you would get an impression. Some of you would get a verse of Scripture. I've also uh, asked some of those on our prophetic team 
to just be praying around this station. And if they feel like they have a word for you, they may offer that to you. We don't say that's equal to Scripture. It's just an impression. You receive it. If it's of the Lord for you, you'll know it. You'll know it. And so some of our prophetic team might come up to you and just give something that they sense from God. So we've got listening. We've got prayer for the lost. Mercy for repentance of sin. The map of the world to pray for the nations. And then, wow, we've already got all our people ready to go in praying for those to be healed. So Father, we thank You. We praise You for Your greatness, Your mercy, Your love, Your power. God, I pray today if there be anybody in the room or listening that is not saved, oh God, that they would receive Christ right now. Open the door of your heart. Get saved. Get born again. Get a new heart today. He loves you and He knocks at the door of your life. Open that door. And Lord, now I just pray that You would direct people where You want them to go and pray and meet with You and we just welcome Your manifest presence. Have Your will and way in this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.